And welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, buddy? Not a lot of good stuff in Knicks land tonight, Kyle. A tough game in Washington for the Knicks tonight. Just such a strange game. It, it was a, a horrific start, a horrific finish. Just in, in the middle, uh, of course, there was the... the you know, young Knicks scrapping back, led by mostly Mario Vazonia and his canter and Alonzo Trier. But outside of that, there was just uh, just not a lot. Uh, a couple of highlight defensive plays from both Frank and, and Mitch. But uh, outside of that, it was pretty gruesome most of the night. They had 34 combined points in the first quarter and the fourth quarter. 34 combined out of their 95 points. So, like you mentioned... The beginning and the end, absolutely awful. We saw some tougher performances from Tim Hardaway Jr., our guy. Another quiet Vonley game. Only got 10 minutes. Uh, Frank was not great tonight. Had a nice little run there. He had a couple, I think he had back-to-back buckets, but struggled with turnovers, had four turnovers. The Knicks in general struggled with turnovers. The beginning of the game was especially sloppy. They really struggled to keep the ball or get any sort of semblance of an offense going. They were lucky to only be down seven points after one, and it felt like for most of the game they were lucky to still be in it. They had the nice run to close out the third, thanks to, like you said, you know, Alonzo Trier and Cantor was huge. Good to see Cantor have another another double-double after some minor struggles, so a couple bumps in the road after he's hit the bench. But what are some other impressions from the game tonight in Washington besides the obvious ones that are going to jump out after watching that game? I mean, Frank played like shit. Tough I mean, Frank game. Yeah, tough I mean, Frank. very, very tough Frank game. I, I'm not really going to lay into Timmy. He got hurt pretty quickly into yeah. that first half. He so. shouldn't have played in the second half. He he, looked they should yeah. yeah, they should have, they should have just held him out. I mean, Trier's Agreed, been yeah. playing for Trier's been fine. Dotson's been fine. Both of those guys are fine tonight. Um, you know, if anything, it would have behooved Fisdale to play Dotson a little bit more tonight in Timmy's place because he, he was fairly efficient. He had a pretty decent game before he kind of. Uh, disappeared, but yeah, Timmy shouldn't have came back in. And regardless, even when he wasn't, I think both teams could tell he wasn't really himself. Um, the offense seemed starkly different to the offense that we've seen over the last, you know, whatever many games start the year. Um, they need a shot creator in at all times. And I think I saw you tweet something about this uh, earlier when he was, you know, in the locker room getting checked out. But I mean, they, they were just a horrific looking offense without a shot creator in the lineup. So not, not having that, the defense is less scared of what's out there. Cause you know, basically it's, you know, if they blow up a lot of the action that you're running and, you know, guys don't have these easy runs to the rim and, and you're closing out on the shooters, then they're not going to be able to do a whole hell of a lot. And that's what they did to Frank for sure. They crowded him, forced him into some uh, pretty bad passes they some some turnovers his handles were shaky and um i mean it was a get right game for the wizards in a sense they it was a young team and 
you know, the weakness of this Knicks team is their guard play, their point guard play specifically, and that's a strength of the Wizards, and Wall mostly took advantage of it. I thought Trey Burke was pretty good tonight. He was. I mean, there wasn't a... That, that's kind of what we would hope to see from him off the bench. Yes. I mean, just didn't do too much, took his shots, made his shots, which is nice because this season he had not been making his shots. Prior to tonight's game, I think he was shooting about 38% from the field overall, about 35, 36% from three. So, you know, it was nice to see him get going a little bit. A couple assists, then get three assists, a couple rebounds, oh, excuse me, rebounds. So that, I mean, that was nice. Mostly the only positives we can take away from this game was the the bench play. I mean, Cantor was tremendous, kind of helped them with that run. Uh, same with Azonia, same with Trier. So those guys kind of led, you know, the cavalry here to get them back in the game. And then, I mean, the starters just did not have it. Yeah, Trier, I think, jumped out when you're watching the game more than his nine points on four of eight shooting would say. He, he energized the Knicks for a minute there. You had the little conversation with Wall where they both got double technicals when Wall kind of hit him pretty hard when he went up for the layup. And then you had them matching up on the other end. You could tell Trier's getting into it. Fizdale's hyping him up. And then he comes up with the big turnover. John Wall dribbles it off his foot. So that was good to see. The energy from the young guys is clearly something that they're going to be able to channel because we saw Mitch Robinson, too. He got a technical tonight. I tweeted it out. I do love his passion. It's something he's going to have to rein in. He's still an immature kid at this stage of the game. As As we saw by that tech towards the end, I think it was early fourth. Yes. And he had a play earlier where he thought that he blocked John Wall. On second look, it was pretty clear that he fouled him. And he kind of gave the ref like a, come on, man, like, what are you doing? And those are the things where he's going to have to channel that into his play rather than end up getting a technical. But it's a young team. They're going to learn. I love seeing that. I Give me Mitchell Robinson technical every couple games if it's just going to be a, a passion like that. That's what we want to see from these young guys. And Trier is another guy that it's pretty obvious he loves playing basketball, and this is what he's passionate about, and he wants to be great. And I don't think we want to get too ahead of ourselves with any sort of you know, love for Trier. And I'm, I'm a little more bearish on him, I think, than the rest of the fan base. But after a game like tonight, after what we've seen from him thus far, I think it's fairly safe to say he's a guy that the Knicks can be looking toward to be a part of this team moving forward, whether that be in a bench role, which I think he is most suited for, or if he ever ends up being even better than our wildest dreams could imagine, potentially a starter for this team down the road. But I think I feel really strongly about him for the rest of this season and you know beyond just to see. I'm excited to see what he can bring to this team moving forward. I mean, I said it on the last pod, but me and you were pretty staunch in our defense about Cantor should be starting still. And I've sort of walked that back a little bit because he's, you know, Robinson's been way further ahead of schedule than I anticipated. And I think that probably further along than most objective and reasonable fans anticipated. Obviously there was that segment of listeners that we have that yelled at us for saying that Robinson shouldn't start out of the gates. And uh, we tried to throw a wet blanket on it. And we said, no, you guys got to relax. But I still think cancer probably should start. I mean, he's putting up double doubles off the bench in limited minutes. Now I still think that merits him starting, but from what we've seen with Robinson, I don't really have any opposition to it at this point. Like I had the, you know, the last week or so. So 
I mean, if he, he, to your point about the energy, I mean, it feels like, you know, we talk about Noah Vonley being really active on the boards, but you know, Mitch does that a lot too. And he, his hands are always up. He's always trying to get a piece of the ball or tip it. And, you know, he did a really good job of that in Dallas, just a couple of really nice offensive rebounds where he just went back, made a nice catch of the rebound and put it right back up and in. Uh, he did that a few more times tonight. So to me, it's, it, it's just, he's a couple steps ahead of where I thought he was going to be. And I'm all right with him starting. And if he's going to always have this defensive presence and energy, uh, even if he's a weak rebounder, just seeing the effort that he's putting in, he's doing the right things. He's just kind of getting pushed out of the way a little bit. So I'm not really concerned, I guess, with the low rebounding rate. And um, I, I think that's going to come from him just getting more and more acclimated and working with uh, the next training staff and hopefully putting some weight on. But I'm very encouraged to say the least. So, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, Robinson's not an overly strong guy. So that's something he's going to have to continue to do to build upon his frame so that he can bang a little more. Now, I've seen over the past few games, what was the MO on Robinson coming into the season? He's going to foul a lot. He jumps at everything. He's already started to rein that in a bit. There was a few opportunities today when he could have went flying out at a shooter that pump faked, and he put his hands up and stayed on the ground and was able to recover and play team defense. So it's the small signs from him on that end that I see where he's already making improvements, which makes sense, right? He's still learning an NBA defense, but once you get a taste of it, and once you see what you've been doing, once you're watching the tape and you say, hey, maybe I shouldn't be jumping all the time. And then, he, of course, he had the hilarious block on Dwight Howard. What the hell is Dwight Howard doing? What do you mean? When he takes that jumper and Robinson blocked it. It's one of the I, funniest things. There was 14 seconds audibly. on the shot clock. And, and it looked like it looked like he you could see it in both him and Mitch's eyes. Like he started to kind of go for it. And then Mitch played it perfectly. And then he kind of hesitated. And then. Mitch was already settled, and then Dwight was like, ah, fuck it. And then he puts it up anyway, and Mitch just slaps it. I was like, what are you doing? We all know what's coming. He telegraphed it so much, too. He was like, I am going to shoot this basketball. Please block the shot. I want you to block the shot. (laughs) It was hysterical. But anyways, yeah, so Robinson, we're going to spend most of the time talking about Washington, although we can talk about the Dallas game on Friday, too, and kind of rope it all in. But he was also fantastic against the Mavs on Friday. That reverse dunk he had, I swear to God, it's one of the craziest dunks I've seen in the NBA. And we see all these clips on Twitter all the time. I don't think I've seen a dunk like that in a long time. He catches everything. I think he's had three lobs in the last two games. Yeah. He really, he, he really does. I mean, he throw it anywhere in the vicinity of the rim, and he's just he just gets it. I mean, even the one tonight, I mean, it was a, I wouldn't say it was an odd angle, but the angle he took was from, like, probably six or seven feet to the left of uh, the paint. And in just two strides, he was up in the air already and just caught it, slammed it home. Um, It's just really nice having that level of athleticism on this team when we really haven't had much of it the last seven or eight years. Absolutely. Absolutely. We wrote pieces about it last year, basically that the Knicks have a serious lack of athleticism on the roster. I don't think we can say that anymore. I don't think that's even remotely close to the case, which is a real positive. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I really like what I'm seeing out of him. I'm, I'm encouraged. I mean, I don't get – I think that's the best part of all this is there's encouraging things that we see from the young guys game in and game out that, you know, had this been last year or the year before, we would have been angry about, you know, this kind of a loss. 
And it's nice when we're just like, okay, well, they lost, but, you know, what were the good things that we saw? You know, Robinson's energy was one. His own is one of the many reclamation projects on this roster, and he played well, 10 points, 8 rebounds. I think he had three steals as well. Yeah, a couple he had assists. three assists too. Yeah, and, I mean, these were – I mean, and it that's one of those game uh, box score stats, stat lines that you look at it, and it kind of does tell the whole story. I know you and I are kind of hard on that sometimes where the box score doesn't tell the whole story, but right. um, – it, he really did have a nice all-around game today. He was attacking the boards, and he was really pushing the ball in transition to it, helped the Knicks get back into the game. So that was really nice for Mario. And then uh, Trier, yet again, just, I mean, he didn't have a an eye-popping offensive game, but it was the way that he scored a couple of times tonight, which is just on par for everything that we've seen from him. A couple of really nice, really difficult moves and drives to get into the paint and finish. So, um it's just, it's encouraging. Like, Dotson had 11, if I'm not mistaken. 11 points, six boards. Yep. So, I mean, it's just, these are a lot of guys that we were either high on or had high hopes for. And I know you were off the Hazonia wagon quickly, but it's nice to see guys progressing. Like, Dotson has gotten his chance, and almost every game that he's in, he's been a guaranteed double digit, you know, four or five rebound kind of guy. Yep. It's nice that guys that we were either high on or hopeful for or hopeful, you know, to be developing or actually uh, doing that. And, and as I was kind of timid about all, all summer with words from the summer matching the actions during the season. And, and as you've said a few times, we might not agree with everything that Fizdale does on the court, but the point here is that the young guys are developing as we would hope. And I think that's the main takeaway and we can always nitpick. That's our jobs. But if they're going to all be developing like this and all be kind of ahead of schedule, well, then that means the coaching staff is doing something right, whether it's developing them or just putting them in positions to succeed. So I'm very encouraged by it. It's a tough loss. I mean, Washington's been underwhelming to start the year, but it's still a talented team. I think we always forget about that with the early season overreaction to records. It's still a good team. They're probably going to be like a five or six seed. Yeah, they're still a playoff team. It's not they're like still, they had one win now. They're not making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it was, yes, it was a very difficult start to the year. But at the same time in the West, you know, De'Aaron Fox is over there taking over the Western Conference with Stud. the Kings right now. That was your which, boy. I remember last year when we talked about the draft and you were like, is that Fox kid going to be around when the Knicks picked? And I said, he will not be around. And you said, well, that sucks because I want him. I wanted him badly. I, I think I wrote something about it for uh, Nikaias Duncan. I did a fan yep. rag, yep. sit down with him, and I just, I was enamored with him. But anyway, so I, I'm glad that he's doing well is the point here. So, For sure. But anyway, it's it's always these early season things. I think last year the Magic started out of the gates hot through the first 25 games. <laughs> You're telling me that one up, didn't last? Yo, surprising, right? I know. And then, and then they ended up having a, uh, what, top five worst record in the league, top yes. six? Yes, So it, it's it's too soon to tell with a lot of these things. Wizards are going to be fine. I said We had a couple of mentions saying it was a brutal loss, a horrible loss. You can't just go by the records. You can never just go by the records. It's the, it's the big picture here. The Knicks played terribly tonight, I think. They did for the most part. That's why it was it was at all. I think it was the second worst loss of the year. I think the Miami loss was the worst, and I think this is this is right up there with it. But to your point about just the lineup choices, I still have a lot of issues with how Fizdale decides to deploy some of these lineups. In the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Knicks had a lot a lot of extra minutes with Moutier, Burke, Trier out there, and I just think it's a hard trio to pull off from a size perspective. They can just get dominated in the pick and roll, and they struggle to match up with certain units with those guys out. I think he took too long to put his normal lineup back in. All those things considered, this is also a game where, as you mentioned before, 
Tim Hardaway Jr., who's on, you're really your only like big shot creator with the basketballs out of the game, it doesn't really help. And when he's struggling to really move at all and he's not providing what he normally provides, you can see that, and the team feels that. So on the other hand, you have this is the seventh consecutive game in which Damian Dotson's played over 28 minutes. He seems like someone that's going to get 30 to 33 minutes every single night from here on out. And he's just a consistent option on this team. You know, you mentioned double digit points, multiple rebounds, didn't whole have a team three tonight, but yeah, whole team, whole team. You guys heard about this whole team thing. You heard about it. So yeah, I think with him, he is about the most consistent option they could have, they could have on the wing, which is incredibly valuable for a young team. That's going to struggle with consistency at many points during the season. It's it's simply inevitable based on the makeup of this roster. I mean, we were high on Dotson almost all of last year. I think I'm going to, I want you to be sitting down when I say this to you. So. I'm sitting, I promise. All right. Do you perhaps have something to buckle you in? Uh, yes, I will okay. buckle. I have a belt right here. I'm being buckled. All right, we're good. Go ahead. You are often ahead of the curve with things that you end up being right about. And Dotson was one of those things. I remember I early. Yeah. Yeah. But so nice you... of you to say. Thanks, yep, man. Yeah. I had to be honest. Maybe oh, it's this, this illness heart. that I'm dealing with. I'm my... fighting off. <laughs> yeah. I was going to well, say you're delusional well, right now. The illness yeah. is going to <laughs> <laughs> No, but I remember, I, I think it was probably back in, it was late November or sometime in December last year. It was for, for sure. It was for sure. One of those months. I remember you said you were on the pod and said something about Dotson and how you wanted him to play more and why you thought he should. And I don't think anybody disagreed with you. I think we were more or less in agreement. but I remember it was, it was your point that you brought up and um, it's, he's just doing so much, right? I mean, he's shooting, he's shooting. Well, he's scoring. Well, he's scoring at a good clip, um, especially for a second year player. I mean, he's rebounding very, very well for his position. He's playing mostly stout defense. So I just don't know. We have a lot of gripes about like one player or another a little thing that they could do better. You know, Frank's an elite defender, but Frank needs to work on his offense and, you know, Cantor can't play any defense, but he can give you the boards and the points like we always nitpick, but I don't have a gripe from Dame Dotson to be quite honest with you. I really don't. He, it just seems like whatever the game plan is, he's just sticking to exactly the game plan. I don't see him going off script too much. I don't see him making that many mistakes. Um, you know, outside of a, you know, him getting blown by or just a better player outmatching him. I mean, he's a second year guy. Those things are going to happen, but I'm just not seeing him beat himself, which I think is a really, really important thing for any young player, but especially a first or second year player. And that's kind of what I'm seeing from him. So I don't know. I know you're going to be high on him, but I don't know. Is there something that you're seeing from him that you'd like for him to work on? Or is it mostly okay through the first five or six games that he's got big minutes? Well, let's talk first about the type of player he is. He has the poise of a veteran. When he's out there, you mentioned he's not beating himself. He's the kind of guy that goes out there, you know what he's going to bring to an offense. The Knicks aren't asking him to do all that much either. He does some work off the dribble. He doesn't operate much in the pick and roll. He's a spot-up shooter. He defends. He still takes, the only thing that bothers me is I, I just wish he would take more threes. There are some shots where he ends up taking a step in or ends up taking like a couple dribbles and a contested two. 
he's a great three-point shooter. We want to see more of that. So that's something I'd, I'd encourage him to perk up and to continue to strive for because he also has some skills as a three-point shooter that some guys don't ever get in their NBA career. He has a nice ability to pump fake and then sidestep into the three. Not an easy thing to do. And he's been able to do that fairly well thus far in his NBA career. But they're asking him to be exactly the kind of guy that I was perf- like a perfect swingman in the modern NBA in a starting lineup. That's what Dotson is for this team, which makes him valuable because, like I said, the Knicks are going to struggle at points with consistency, and he feels like a guy that's always going to be there for them to rely on. And Fizdale clearly enjoys having him out there. I'm glad that it got to the point here where we're going to see him be playing 30 minutes because the main reason I liked him last year is because I looked at his numbers and I watched him a little bit at Houston uh, when he went there, but it was a Knicks team that needed shooting. And hey, here's this guy that shot 44% from three in college. Why don't you guys give him more of a shot and see what he can provide? If he can be a floor spacer for your unit, that's incredibly valuable for a team that's in serious need of shooting. And this team this year has a couple more shooters, but you always need more three-point shooting, especially if Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to miss any time. We'll see if he's ruled out for tomorrow. I'd bet that he doesn't play, so we might have to see Dotson take on a little more responsibility. But you have to be happy with what he's provided this year for the team, and I'm glad that he's getting all those opportunities. It's a good deal. Is it strange that I low-key hope Timmy sits out the next game? Like not, so you can not be, see what he provides. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, not, I, I don't think that's strange. That's what we, it, that's the kind of thing the, we can root for with how the Knicks are just going to be bad this year. So, yeah, it's not like I, it's not like I'm rooting for Timmy not to play because no, obviously, obviously, you know, I've had my Timmy cape on all season, but I just want to see he's done so well in his really limited role, like really tremendously well that he just kind of deserves to. All right, man, just fuck it, start, <laughs> just start. Yeah, uh, we're we're gonna run a lot of offense through you tonight. Just keep it moving. Like I think he deserves like a night where he's able to get you know, 15 or so shots as opposed to his normal, like six to 10 and he knocks down 60% of them. For sure. Yeah. I've got to go back. I want to dive back into his numbers tomorrow. So I'll have to tweet this out tomorrow. I wonder what in college, if they ever used him much in a pick and roll or if he was asked to be an isolation scorer at any point, I'm going to have to dig into spectrum and, uh, or synergy and figure that out and, and see what happens. Cause I'm, I'm curious if he was asked to do that at all, but yeah, I, I don't think the Knicks should play Timmy tomorrow though. Like it just, don't give him an opportunity to just just get healthy. They shouldn't have played him the rest of the game tonight, and they, they should give him some time to get to get healthy tomorrow. Just not worth it. Uh, I want to talk about Ennis Cantor because we saw him have eighteen and twelve tonight. Defensively, we know the woes. He had one clip where Jason Smith set a screen on him. Once a Nick, always a Nick. Jason Smith set a screen on Cantor, and Cantor came off the screen, defended the ball fine. I think it was Trier that was the other part of the the battery there and Trier recovers onto the ball handler and Cantor just hung out at the top of the key just putting his arms in the air for like three seconds and then Jason Smith is standing there all alone beneath the hoop and makes the easy layup it's almost baffling to see him this far into his NBA career still unable to pick up the nuances of a pick and roll defense in the NBA that being said we know about that I, I was funny did you see someone tweet at me like Maybe we should give him more time to see what he can provide. I said, he's been in the league for seven years. I don't know what more we can ask at this point. We've seen enough. We've seen enough to know this guy is a shit defender that has no idea what's going on on that end, no matter how hard he tries. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few outliers, but generally after year five or so, players kind of are who they are. Especially on defense, I feel like. Yeah, Especially and, on defense. And usually, I think there's guys that we 
can tell are going to take longer to develop. Like a Frank, we know we're probably, we're obviously very staunch defenders of Frank, but we know we're not going to really get good Frank until about year four or five. You know, we're quite a ways away from it happening, despite the good defending and the flashes of things offensively. But once you hit year five or so, I think that's when you go, okay, we have some sort of a baseline for what this guy is. And sure, do guys take significant strides after that sometimes? Yeah. But more often than not, for the majority of NBA players, that they kind of fill into their roles after that. And that's how we see guys like, um, I mean, they're not quite there yet, but even guys like kind of Mario Hazonia, Noah Vonley, who have bounced around, Emmanuel Moutier, like those guys all came from, I believe, the same draft. But even with the Knicks, they've mostly looked like they are who they are. So he's had more than enough time to get acclimated and his canter defensively. And sometimes guys are just not good at those things. What he's good at is um, ultimately the role that he played in OKC. Like that was a dynamite role for him. That was about as good of a role as you can ever hope to get for Ennis Cantor. You know, he doesn't really have to worry about defense. He played alongside Steven Adams and he just got to come in. They would just bloody and bludgeon people to death on the boards and they just cleaned up everything. He'd walk out with a double, double, nice little like 12 and 10. And he was on a little uh, playoff contending team and it was nice, but you know, he, he just is who he is. We kind of got to accept that kind of stuff. Even with Amari, Amari just was who he was. He tried. He just wasn't good. I mean, that that uh, tweet that you clipped, like it looked like Cantor was trying to find where he was supposed to go. He wasn't oh, yeah. just he wasn't just like standing like uh, Jabari Parker standing there off to the side getting blown by. Like Cantor was like, oh, man, I got to find my guy. And he just could not find no his idea. guy. He just had no idea. So, like, I, I understand when people get after him for his defense, rightfully so. But I strongly believe he's trying and he's just he's really just not good at it for whatever reason. He's just not capable of playing good defense, team yeah. defense, team defense. I should specify. Cause when Correct. it's body to body, we've talked about this before. He's a very strong guy, tall guy. It's hard to score on, you know, anybody like that in the post one-on-one, but team defense to give him props just because I, he did have 18 and 12. So I think we should give him props for their due. Some of his finishing around the basket is fairly remarkable. Like he always, he loves getting that ball on the left block on the pick and roll. The one strong dribble move comes in with the sweeping layup to finish off the reverse. That's a great move, and it, it's just it's a pretty basketball sight to watch. But him on the defensive end, not so much. Really not so much, but good to see him play well tonight. Uh, one other thing that I want to get to is the guard rotation. So we mentioned that Trey Burke had a good game, 13 points off the bench. Moutier played 23 minutes, was shockingly not very good. I know he had a good game in Dallas. Again, we should give props where they're due. He, he did in his very small role. He did a good job in Dallas for sure. For sure. That did not carry over tonight. He had one stretch. I think where they had two back to back 24 second shot clock violations. And he was basically the cause of both of them. He just wasn't pushing the offense enough. Um, what do you think the Knicks should do with Moutier? So we saw Moutier play 23. We saw Burke play 20. We saw Trier play 22 and we saw Frank play 23. Basically, they all played the same amount of minute shares. How would you like to see those minutes doled out moving forward? Are you okay with them kind of splitting those four evenly? Is there one guy you'd like to see in there a little more, one guy a little less? What do you think? Trier has certainly earned it. You know, I. it's hard to say otherwise. I mean, he comes in and he just he scores. He scores. I don't think his defense has been 
terrible considering he's a rookie. No, I think it's been quite good. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's very uh, – this is the third time I've used this word on this podcast now, but he's a very, like, staunch def- defender. Like, even when he was on Wall and Beal a couple of times, I mean, he was right up on them. He buckles in. And, Kyle, he was not a very good defender at Arizona. It was, he not, was not a trade of his. I watched a lot of Zona last year. As you guys know, I've said that before, but it's not like that was a reason why – Teams liked him. That was kind of going to be a worry of his. I think he's been a pleasant surprise on the defensive end. Yeah, and I think that's what's impressive is that I wouldn't say that they were overlooked, but like we, this wasn't supposed to be a year about Damian Dotson. Like this wasn't supposed to be a year about Alonzo Trier. This was supposed to be Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, you know, and and Frank developing. Like those were our main points to begin the year, and. For Dotson to come in and affect the game like he does, not only on both ends, but also his rebounding prowess through the first five or six games that he's been playing. And um, also Trier being able to not just really just open our eyes and wow us with his scoring ability, but also being able to play a, a pretty decent level of defense. And I think that's important because this team has lacked perimeter defending for how many years now, Matt? Too many years. Way too many, too years. many years. So this this team right now is basically a big tryout for who's going to be able to play with and alongside Chris Porzingis next year. That's going to be the focal point of the team. You know, whether he's 100% healthy or not, like generally they're going to work him back as the one, you know, number one option on this team, the focal point of the offense and defense. So they have to find guys that can fit around him. And what I'm seeing right now is the guys getting the most burn and making the most impact. And again, Frank's had a rough I'm not going to say he had a really rough game in Dallas. It was mostly just a rough shooting game because he still did finish with, I think like three steals and seven assists, a couple rebounds. So um, we're seeing the perimeter guys, like the perimeter defender guys getting rewarded. And I'd like to see more of that. That's sort of been the theme with who's gotten rewarded in Fisdale's system. It's if you defend, basically, if you can defend, then you're going to play. And that's why we see Mitchell Robinson in the lineup over Ennis Cantor despite the lack of offensive output. And that's why we're seeing guys like Dotson, you know, get a really big, I mean, Dotson was mostly cause Knox is out, but um, he's not going to be relegated back to his old bench spot after this, but you know, he, he's getting a really long leash to work with as is Trier. And I just think that that's important that those three get rewarded for what they're doing on, on both ends. Frank still needs to step it up offensively, but it's nice to see, Okay, we know Frank's an elite perimeter defender. He was the best pick-and-roll defender in the uh, NBA last year. And outside of that, he's just a good team defender. He blocks a good amount of shots for a guard. But now seeing it from these two is kind of a surprise. We we just thought Dotson was going to be a shooter. And Dotson's rebounded well, uh, defending well. Trier, same thing. We you know, we kind of had fun at, uh, at Trier's expense in the summer league because he was just scoring and doing nothing else. Wasn't even looking to pass. Wasn't even thinking of passing. And I've seen him not only score, but he's also, you know, working down the defense a couple times and made some really nice reads and and passes that have led to assists. So I just think we're starting to see what the perimeter guys should look like around KP next year. And I think I'm very enticed by that. And I don't want to get too carried away because we're still, we just got the game 10 of an 82 game season, but it's hard not to be encouraged with that little trio there. And that's what the, that's totally ignoring Tim Hardaway Jr. right now.
two questions. My first question, if I told you before or after, so I'll, let's hypothetical scenario, Frank Nielakina makes an all defense team, which I think if you're getting some odds on that, you know, maybe plus 150 for his career that he would do that. I think it would, it's a likely thing to happen. If I told you 2020, 2021 NBA season, does he make his first all defense team before that season or after that season? Just by the way that those awards work, I'm going to say after. Okay. Because the, to me, a lot of those awards is always, they actually do deserve it the year before, but the voting, the voters don't give it to you until you really prove that it's legitimate. Something of like a, a recency, like not a lifetime achievement award, but you know, like how in the Oscars, when someone wins the award, it's just because they had a good performance and they're like, they probably should have won this before. We should give them the award now. Yeah, I mean, you see it kind of on a lesser basis like that with the all-star voting. Like, yeah. Damian Lillard for a while, like, surely deserved to be an all-star over one or two guys. But they're like, mm, is it legitimate? Did, did that make him upset when he didn't make the all-star teams? I, I, I didn't know. I, I, I have no idea. It, did he maybe send a, a series of tweets about it? He I, he might have. I might have heard something. It, did he have a, a humongous chip on his shoulder about it to the point where it was almost obnoxious? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little bit too much... Uh, Dip on his chip, but uh, I don't. Okay, okay, got it. Did you yeah. see that picture of Obama with the? Yeah, with the chip? yeah, that's where I got. It. <laughs> yeah. I, I was dying to incorporate a too much dip on the the chip reference. So you were loading that up the whole time. You fired off the perfect time. Don't worry. No, no, but I, that's what I think is going to happen. Like he's probably going to deserve it the year before, and then they're not going to give it to him because his age. Um, they want to see it a little bit more. There's more deserving guys. That, you know, guys that have been doing this for longer and. At, at a similar level, and they'll probably give him the nod that way. And then once it's irrefutable is the way it always has to go. You have like a really irrefu- uh, irrefutable season. And then they're like, okay, well, this guy is not only deserving of being on this team. He's also maybe the top one or, you know, top two or three defenders in the league. I feel like that's how the pendulum always swings. It's like, ah, eh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. You're, you're not only in, but you're also one of the best. Yeah, I think you're right. My second question is how do you think that Mitchell Robinson fits next to Chris Stapps Porzingis when KP comes back. How does who fit with uh, KP? Mitchell Robinson. I've, I've internally battled with this thought for a while, Matt. I honestly don't know because the big thing with KP was that he can defend the rim at, at an elite level. And that obviously makes sense that he would play the five. And per his own comments at Media Day this year, you know, in, in years past and in interviews past, they would ask Porzingis if he was ready to play the five full time. And he kept saying stuff like, I like the four. I like the power forward. I'm comfortable with the power forward. And then uh, I actually asked him that immediate day. And I said, are you going to maybe switch it up, play a little bit more five or kind of tailor, tailor your game a little bit differently coming off the injury? And he's just like, you know, we'll have to see. And he suddenly seemed to be, I want to say open to it, but not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, after hearing that, I was like, oh, I'm really hopeful that KP is going to play the five next year, you know, mostly full time. And now if you have a guy like Mitchell Robinson, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you, what are you supposed to do about that? Do we, because then you can make the argument of, well, if KP's already an elite rim protector, obviously we have to see how he looks coming off the injury. That's very important. Um, but you can make the argument, like some people have, that a guy like Von Ley would fit really well starting at the four next to KP to kind of right. help him with his rebounding deficiencies. And so it, it's very peculiar 
I, I could definitely see him being the backup big, like a big minutes backup big for KP if KP were to play the five. But I'm concerned that the fit is going to be clunky based on what we've seen from KP the first three years. I just think they're going to occupy a lot of the same space, and I just don't know how it's going to work. It's an interesting proposition, if only because the Knicks haven't really had a guy like Mitchell Robinson, unless I'm forgetting someone. But who has KP spent most of his time playing next to? Robin Lopez, Kyle O'Quinn, Ennis Cantor, Joe Kim Noah when he was healthy last season. They haven't had the type of offensive weapon that Mitchell Robinson is in his specific skill set, which is literally running to the rim and grabbing lobs, is good just because KP also likes to space the floor. They don't occupy the same areas of the basketball court. So I'm completely intrigued by it, if only because... I still don't know what the outlook on a Mitchell Robinson is just because his skill set at this point is limited to catching a basketball and dunking it within three feet of the hoop. He had one shot where he kind of had like a little layup from like four feet and he bricked it and you could tell he just doesn't quite have the touch, but still encouraging, obviously. But I'm, I'm intrigued by that fit and I don't know how that would look, but it's an interesting thing to think about KP playing next to a rim running center like Robinson, I, even in I, limited opportunities, if that happens this season, who knows? Yeah, my issue about them occupying the same space is both, you know, based mostly off of where we saw KP play last year, which was he was in the post a lot. And I think a lot of that was Jeff Hornacek. But yes, too much. As we said all last year, too much from KP in the post last year. But but at the same time, we also don't know if KP was just comfortable there. And we won't know until he's back and in Fisdale's system. So I don't want to romanticize that KP is going to come back and then be this super spacing big and fit in like a glove with Fisdale offense. Obviously I think that that's the plan. I don't think he's going to have issue with it or take exception to it, but I don't want to bank on it either. Seeing how comfortable he got operating out of that post and high post last year and the amount of shots that he was taking there. Cause I mean, November through about mid December, he was on fire operating from that area. So I also don't want to sell myself on the Fisdale fantasy with KP when I could very well say, you know, see KP coming back and being like, well, I'm not abandoning that shit. I was having a very good year shooting from that area and shooting from that territory. So that's why, you know, I brought up the point about them occupying the same space. Cause if he, if KP plans on operating from those areas too, then to me, that's a little bit of cause for concern. The hope would obviously be like you're saying to space out the floor. And I, I again, think he would oblige if that's the plan, but I do worry a little bit about his comfort level because we've seen him be a little bit stubborn about, well, I'm the four I'm comfortable at the four and he's, he's kind of big on where he's comfortable operating out. So it, it does linger in the back of my mind. I don't think he's going to make a big stink about it, but that's my reason for concern. What do you think about Luke Cornett's two minutes tonight? I'm in, I'm intentionally staying quiet. <laughs> No, I always feel bad. I don't mind Luke Cornett. But no, I, mean, I know. We, I know. We, we, yeah, we, we know what he is. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the points on Robinson are all well taken. It's it's going to be interesting. I'm just completely enamored with KP's shot profile once he comes back and what Fizdale decides to have him do. That's I w- really interesting. The last thing I will say is for a defensive fit, I think it actually might work okay because I think defensively, if you played them together, and I don't, again, do not want to get too far ahead of myself, but we saw KP struggle when he got pulled out to the perimeter by some quicker fours. And I feel as though 
Mitch wouldn't have that much of an issue based on how quick we've seen him be. I feel like he'd be able to actually handle that level of speed versus KP who wasn't really fast, but he was, you know, just long, but he got blown by. So defensively, I could see it working is what I'm saying. Cause defensively, even if, if you make, you know, Mitch the quote unquote four or have to match up against the four. And even if he gets spaced out, I feel like he'd be able to hold his own better than a KP would in the perimeter. Yeah, I think that's fair. He can move laterally at this point. You know, his raw athleticism is potentially his most exciting trait in general. But I think, um, was there anything from the Dallas game specifically you wanted to point out before we kind of take a a brief look ahead? I mean, we know that Trier was unbelievable. He had a couple moves I tweeted out. I loved the one move he had in the pick and roll where he comes off the screen. He kept Doncic right on his ass and then took a dribble Mm -hmm. in. The layup, that's such a, that's a next level pick and roll move. The patience from Trier is one thing I didn't really expect to see that I've really enjoyed, specifically in the pick and roll. We know about some of his troublesome, you know, issues with the isolation stuff, and I know it's his whole moniker, so it's that kind of thing too, but I've been impressed with his patience, and even though his assist numbers aren't really up, he's made some nice, subtle little plays. Even tonight, a couple nice passes that defend, um, his teammates didn't hit the threes, but I've seen pretty good things from him on that end thus far. I mean, outside of Trier, who was tremendous, he's just so good at what he's done so far through the first 10 games. Um, I mean, obviously, that was a wildly efficient game. He was 8 of 10, 6 of 7 from the the line. He just really had it going. They didn't really have an answer for him, which isn't really a surprise. There's not a lot of perimeter defending on that Dallas team. You know, Dennis Smith Jr. isn't going to stop a nosebleed. Um, JJ Barea isn't at this point in his career, somebody who's going to stop anybody. And Wes Matthews is kind of a shell of his former self, a fine defender still, you know, nothing to scoff at, but he used to be one of the more premier guys and he's just not that anymore. So Trier kind of had his pick of the litter. And to your point about, you know, when he carried down to China's hip to the rim, I tweeted something similar like that last night too, uh, or on Friday night too, that he just seems like he, he has that sort of patient, herky jerk game that you see from a lot of veterans. He, he reminds you like a 10 year vet offensively, the way he takes his time getting to where he wants to go. A lot of young guys, when they come into the league, they try to go a thousand miles an hour and they try to, you know, run it down your throat and get right to the rim and run you over. And which ironically, he had a couple issues with that tonight, trying to run people over to the rim, but I digress. He did. He did. Yeah. Most, mostly from what we've seen from him this season, he's been very patient. He's in no rush to get where he has to go. And the one thing that stands out for me is, you know, he had that one drive. I think it was on the right side of the hoop where he, he like three different times. I forgot who was guarding him, but three separate times. It looked like he was going to just step back and shoot a contested jumper. And every time he got his defender like a little bit more to overplay. And then he kept like bringing him back out to come play the shot just to go back in again. And then he just ended up blowing by him for the layup like the third time. And then I saw something like that again tonight, except when he um, when he got Dwight Howard to step up after he blew by the initial defender, he then and this whole thing took like seven or eight seconds because, again, he takes his time. But he gets into the paint, gets Dwight to step up and then very, very slowly and very easily makes his pass to Ennis Cantor for a layup. So not only is he patient with when he scores and how he scores, but now. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a, an elite playmaker, but just being able to make good reads like that 
when you know the defense is starting to get your MO and they know they got to step up and, and rotate and they're starting to figure out your offensive game and then him just going, okay, you're going to take this away from me. I don't mind just dishing this shit to Anders Kanter real quick. I think he's, it's a very mature mindset that we've seen him have, which I think normally doesn't get associated with somebody who's, um, who goes by an isolation nickname. Normally when you hear ISO, you think, well, that guy maybe isn't, the highest IQ he's, he's playing hero ball. He, you know, he's just trying to get his right. And, and he, he does it in a different manner through the first 10 games. So that's, that's encouraging. And the last thing that I would say about the, the Dallas game, um, two things, uh, Mitchell Robinson, I thought was tremendous on the offensive glass. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic game from Mitch. It, it was, it was, I think his best game, Pretty easily. We know yes. about the dunks. I don't even need to waste time on the dunks. They were fantastic. They were jaw-dropping. He had two that were nice, including the one we spoke about earlier, the reverse. But 10 rebounds, which is nice because he was up against DeAndre Jordan, who's one of the better centers in the league. And a couple of assists, three assists, three steals, and a block. Five of six shooting, uh, three or four from the line. Just a really nice game. And you could really clearly see the impact he was making. And even when he wasn't blocking shots, he was altering them. So... That was really, really good. And the last thing that I was going to say is um, just the battling back from slow starts that Frank and Timmy had. Timmy was, I think, two of his first eight or something like that. And he finished seven to 17 with 18 points. Wasn't a tremendous or even good shooting night for Timmy. But the fact that he started off so terribly and then got it going at an important time. I think it was a end of the second quarter. He scored seven or eight in a row. And then third quarter, he kept it going for a while before Trier took over. And that was encouraging. Six rebounds, three assists. He was making those impacts, you know, that he knew his shot wasn't falling. So he had to figure out a way to to make an impact in the game. And he did that. And Frank did that, too. Frank went two of eight that night for seven points. But he had seven assists, uh, three steals, and a block. And that's another same kind of thing. Like, you're not getting your shot to fall. You have to find ways to make an impact if you want to stay in the game. And I felt like him and Timmy both did that and they did that pretty well. So it was encouraging for me to see that kind of effort from the two of them too. I'm going to read you off a list and I want you to tell me what these seven guys have in common. Here are the top seven rookie scores in the NBA prior to tonight's game. Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Colin Sexton, Wendell Carter. What do those guys all have in common? I'm going to butcher it because I've seen this tweet that I know that you're referencing, but they're all, isn't there like their true shooting is, is no. grossly high. No, 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 is, nothing is that like the, that. I'm, it's okay. as basic as it can be. What do they all have in common? Where were they all drafted? Can you say that one more time now? Because I, I thought I had, I thought I had you and I didn't. So can you just say it again? The list. Yeah, the list. Doncic, Young, Aiton, Bagley, Jackson, Sexton, Carter. What do they all have in common? I don't know. Please. They're lottery me. picks. Yeah. They're lottery picks. I, I, I thought something else was coming. No, no. It's it's. A, I'm making this really simple for you. I'm dumbing it down for you, buddy. Because those are the top seven. Number eight is Lonzo True, an undrafted free agent that the Knicks signed on the eve of the draft. It doesn't get any more basic than that to say how his output has been absolutely phenomenal for where he was a month ago until now. Kind of wild. The only guy that's not in there is Bamba in that top seven with the scoring, but 
Just, that's something to keep in mind with Trier. Another just just a great sign. That's that's a tangible evidence. He's up there with all of the lottery picks from this year in scoring. Yeah, and I was gonna say now, now that I don't want to seem like an idiot for referencing that tweet, I pulled it. Up, <laughs> yeah, what's so, the tweet? You got to tell um, me now. Uh, okay, so the, the NBA rookie true shooting percentage leaderboard minimum one hundred minutes played. Okay, I'm gonna say the names that are on this list, and I want you to guess who. Have you seen this tweet? I have not seen this tweet. Okay, so I want you to guess who's number one on the list. We're going to start there. So on this list is Jaron Jackson Jr., McCall Bridges, Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley, Kevin Herter. Is it Herter? Yeah, Kevin Herter. Yep, you're right. Okay. Miles Bridges, Alonzo Trier, DeAndre Ayton. Um, I'm just going to say, please, please tell me, Shy. Jay Gilgis-Alexander. Okay, thank you. There you go. And Mitchell Robinson. Okay. Who of that list is number one on the true shooting. Mitchell Robinson's number one, and I think Aiton's two. Bagley, three. You got one and two, right? Bagley is six. Oh, okay. Not quite as good as I thought, but yeah, Mitchell Robinson doing yep. his thing at the top. Another yep, just, guy, another second-round pick up there with lottery picks in yep. a stat. And number three on that list, Matthew, was Alonzo Trier. So Mitchell really? Robinson, yep, Mitchell Robinson's number one. Shooting his true shooting percentage is 0.669. DeAndre Ayton about 64 and a half percent. Alonzo Trier is 60, basically the same thing, 64.3. And then, yeah, the rest of the guys are beneath them. So, obviously, that has almost everything to do with their finishing at the rim. Because Trier, I think, is in like the like a stupid percentile for finishing at the rim, and that's even stupider considering that he's a guard. Yeah. Robinson makes sense because he's just dunking it. He he comes out of the game for fifteen to twenty minutes. He just dunks everything, takes no other shots, and then yeah. that's it. So all the shots are in the paint. It makes sense. But Trier being that high up and being a guard was alarming, like pleasantly alarming. Yes. So I, I found that list very very interesting i think for trier it's a weird type of almost just a defining factor for his game because in college so my roommate huge college basketball fan huge syracuse basketball fan and we talk college ball all the time we watched a bunch of games last year i told him what alonzo trier shot from the floor in college and he was like no he didn't he didn't shoot 50 percent from the floor this year and i'm like no he did 50 percent from the floor almost 40 from three this year before tonight he was at 53% from the floor, and obviously that's backed up by the positive true shooting, and he was 4 of 8 from tonight, so we'll see it dip down a bit, but he's weirdly efficient. It's not what you would think because of what you mentioned with his isolation game, because isolation play usually doesn't lead itself to efficiency, but he's a strangely efficient player, and it's something we need to make one of our defining traits for him as a player that maybe we aren't doing well enough yet. That's what he does. He is an efficient player. Yeah, and and again, I always want to preface these things because um, I feel like whenever we say anything, everybody takes it as that just means that player is what they are, and and then that's it. That's all we ever meant. And we have no delusions about these guys being as good as these lottery picks in the long term, too. It's just encouraging to see them in that company. Speak for yourself, my friend. I will speak for myself then. (laughs) um, I would probably take Alonzo Trier over Luka Doncic right now. I mean, that's maybe the easiest decision I could make all year. So, um, yeah, because Luca was on that list that Luca was like six spots down from Trier. So yeah. through, through 10 games, I would not be wrong. But that's neither here nor there. So I'm not fucking with you. But um, what was I going to say? Anything else about Trier? 
I think it's because he's just so patient. I, I don't want to get carried away with that point, but I just think it's normally when you think isolation, like you said, there's like a negative connotation to it. It's like a Carmelo or uh, a Kobe contested fade away, or they spin into a double team and you, you, everybody knows what hero ball is. And I think that's sort of where everybody's minds go with it now, especially in the 2018 analytic era where basically if you're not shooting a wide open three or a wide open layup at the rim, you're playing terrible, bad basketball, idiotic basketball. So to see somebody like Trier kind of be the, the anti analytics player and just, you know, isolate everything. He's not really getting clean looks off of, uh, you know, screens or actions. He's just kind of creating for himself. I think it's very special, but I just think, I don't think I've watched him struggle to create, I guess is my point. Like he always seems to have a way out of whatever the situation is. And he doesn't ever seem like he's struggling. Like a lot of guys we'd see, you know, like, uh, we used to get frustrated when Derek Rose was here. Cause a lot of times he was dribbling and dribbling nowhere and he get blocked off and then bring it back out and then throw up some weird mid range. But Trier just kind of, if he doesn't have it, he just kind of kicks it out. Not a big deal. And then when he knows he's got it, he just gets very methodical. Like he really breaks you down. He's sort of like a boxer who just kind of hits you body shot after body shot. And then finally makes his move to the rack. And it just seems like he's not really settling like his mid range shots, which he's taken plenty of. They don't see, they're not contested most of the time. It just seems like he's playing the drive. And if the defense plays the drive too much, he goes, okay, well now you gave me five feet. I'm going to shoot a mid range jumper, which is a smart basketball play, despite it being a mid range jumper. And he creates space remarkably well. It's something that he does very well. Right. So I, it's just weird how open and clean his looks have been for somebody who plays such an isolation, heavy brand of basketball. And I just think it speaks to how smart he is and how patient he is. Obviously how skilled he is as well, but you know, we'd expect skill from a young player, but having that level of patience and IQ is I think what's separating him in the early returns here. But um, that that's really my last point on sure. I'm just, I'm very, you know, it's it's just fun that we were excited for so many other reasons for so many other young guys this year. And he's come out and just been, I, I mean, arguably the most impressive young guy on the team so far. So it, it's just very, it, it's delightful, to be honest with you. It's delightful. It's been a blast. So the Knicks now play the 2-8 Chicago Bulls tonight who are coming off of a loss to the Rockets. They have a four-game losing streak. They gave up 92 points to the Warriors in the first half. A very winnable game for the Knicks. Obviously, barring Tim Hardaway Jr. playing or not. Um, so that's what we got up next. Anything else, Kyle? I mean, I'm thrilled for this get right game tomorrow against the defensive gauntlet that oh is Jabari God. Parker. Jabari so that's. And, ugh. Levine, so that's... I, I'm, I like Levine a lot as a player. He's not as good as he's been playing. So I think some regression is due for him in that sense. It's going to come. I am I am very eager to see Wendell Carter Jr. though. This, I, I haven't really gotten to watch Wendell Carter. I haven't gotten to watch many much bulls at all. I think I caught like one half of one game, so I am excited to see him. And after that, we get Trey Young again. So it's we know it was going to be a down year, so we're always looking for the young guys and the development. So it's nice when we get to watch um, them play 
a team in equal situations. So uh, I'm excited for the next couple of games more than I would be for, uh, I think Saturday they're in Toronto and I'm not looking forward to that game at all. I'm yeah. looking forward, I'm looking forward to both the Atlanta and the Chicago games. That's a three o'clock Saturday game. So most people will just pretend like it didn't happen. Probably for the best, like just mm-hmm. turn a blind eye to us rest of the NBA, please. Because that's uh-huh. going to be a tough one. Yeah. Hopefully Kawhi is resting quote unquote again. Yeah. So they got, the shit kicked out of them last year when they played in Toronto. We were hanging out for that game, if I remember oh, correctly. Oh, we did. They got blasted. Yeah, it was not good. Really not good. All right, anything to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, uh, generally the same thing is always here, so make sure when you guys get done with this podcast, if you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That I've noticed the reviews us. have gone up, so we appreciate that, guys. Yeah, yeah we really do, because... Uh, for a while, when we first started this thing off, as with most podcasts, you kind of speak into the abyss and hopefully something sticks. So um, really, really thank you. I think you could hear it on our voices. Um, we're very, you know, very encouraged and we're very thankful for you guys. And, you know, we've had a lot more listeners over the last year or so. And um, we just really appreciate all that support. So thank you. And make sure, you know, gaming's now becoming a thing. It's been a thing for a while and we were late to it, but um, we're on Twitch now and we we didn't do it tonight, but we've done it for most of the games so far. We're trying to do pregame shows on NBA 2K, and we play out the the night's matchup. So we go through it. We talk Knicks with you guys, and you guys can obviously comment like you would with the periscopes that we normally do too. So make sure you subscribe to our Twitch channel. Hop on, watch those games with us. We normally announce it. So it's twitch.tv slash the Knicks wall. Um, make sure you check out the tkw shop at t public uh we got a lot we put out the new jersey line so it's basically all these young guys that we're all excited about now you got to get in on the bandwagon while you still can and we have the whole team dot shirt for dame dotson we have isozo for alonzo trier so these are all nickname jerseys so they're not going to say porzingis on the back but they're going to say unicorn they're not going to say neil akina on the back they're going to say the french prince so i mean they're a lot of fun so go take a look uh, I think we have seven or eight of those shirts out right now. So if you have any ideas or things that you'd like to see, always make sure you add us or let us know. We're always looking for that kind of stuff. And outside of that, make sure you just keep checking out the good old content at the We have our original features every day and uh, all the previews, recaps, anything that you could really imagine. We got it. Um, so that's about it. Excellent. So the Knicks take on the Bulls later on tonight and then a couple more winnable games ahead of them so we'll see how that goes kyle thanks for chatting everyone thanks for listening have a great week